Hi everyone, and welcome to Unorthodoxy and to episode 4 in our series on reworlding. In the previous episode, I may have made you somewhat nervous when I mentioned the notion of hierarchies. These days, people are very concerned about hierarchies because they are often taken to imply things like power relations and dominance and even abuse. After all, we live in a broken and tortured world, and skepticism towards hierarchies is therefore not necessarily unmerited. But it is for this very reason that I think it's good to take a look at the notion of hierarchy and how it relates to our inworlded interpretive experiences. Skepticism shouldn't mean that we disengage, but that we should take more careful steps towards engaging in healthy ways keeping our doubts as well as our beliefs in check. I think this is going to be a lot of fun because my main source and inspiration for this episode is an obscure Syrian Christian mystic from around the turn of the 5th and 6th centuries who called himself Dionysius the Areopagite, but whose scholars call Pseudo-Dionysius because they figured out pretty quickly that Dionysius wasn't his real name. I'm just going to call him Dennis for short. Dennis wrote a book called The Celestial Hierarchy, which I highly recommend that you read. In fact, you can read anything by Dennis and you won't go wrong. I'm just going to focus on one small section from chapter 3 of the book The Celestial Hierarchy in which Dennis tells us what a hierarchy is and what benefit it is to us. Here's what he writes there. A fair warning, this is going to sound a bit abstract, but I will explain the meaning of a lot of this afterwards, which uh, will hopefully justify why I'm inflicting this on your eardrums. In my opinion, a hierarchy is a sacred order, a state of understanding, and an activity approximating as closely as possible to the divine. And it is uplifted to the imitation of God in proportion to the enlightenments divinely given to it. The beauty of God, so simple, so good, so much the source of perfection, is completely uncontaminated by dissimilarity. It reaches out to grant every being, according to merit, a share of light, and then through a divine sacrament, in harmony and in peace, it bestows on each of those being perfected its own form. The goal of our hierarchy, then, is to enable beings to be as like as possible to God and to be at one with Him. A hierarchy has God as its leader of all understanding and action. It is forever looking directly at the comeliness, that is, attractiveness, of God. A hierarchy bears in itself the mark of God. Hierarchy causes its members to be images of God in all respects, to be clear and spotless mirrors, reflecting the glow of primordial light and, indeed, of God himself. It ensures that when its members have received this full and divine splendor, they can then pass on this light generously and in accordance with God's will to beings further down the scale. I really love this passage. It's so great. So that's all I'm going to read to you. And I wanted to read this section to you because it offers an abundance of wisdom and insight into a great deal of what we are exploring in this series. In particular, it shows us a very unmodern or very un postmodern way of understanding hierarchy. In Dennis's mind, hierarchy has got nothing at all to do with domination and abuse. It has everything to do with receptivity to understanding and being like the divine, which is the equivalent of the fullness of love. So the point is to love well. 
everything that has being is, by virtue of its existence being dependent on the transcendent deity, good. It is quite another thing whether every being acts in accordance with or against its own goodness. And that's something I'm not really going to go into much detail on here. In fact, there is the implication here that to destroy hierarchy or to set up a false hierarchy is to do terrible harm to our connection with divinity. Still, what is obvious to Dennis, and which should be obvious to us, is that while all things participate in the life of God by virtue of simply being, simply existing, not all things participate in the life of God equally or in the same way. Creation has been arranged, as Dennis says. Hierarchy means, in one sense, arrangement. And this arrangement means that some beings receive a greater proportion of God-likeness than others. They are able to mirror the life of the divine better and more approximately than others. And the point of this is not to hold on to it, to cling to it with tight, anxious hands, but to distribute this connection with divinity to the world, to share it with those who are not given the same proportion of access to divine light. This also means that some beings are primarily meant to uplift and purify and support other beings, whereas other beings are meant to be uplifted and purified and supported. There is a dynamic at work here, suggested, for instance, by Jesus' famous statement that the Sabbath is made for humanity, not humanity for the Sabbath. The hermeneutic or interpretive principle taken up by Jesus is really brilliant. If you are to make sense of the world in any way, you have to be clear on hierarchy. It's the same principle at work in Jesus' hermeneutic that people are meant to eat to live rather than to live to eat. In this, humanity is higher up in the hierarchy than, say, Sabbaths and food. Yes, both Sabbaths and food are sacramental. They participate in the life of God, but they are primarily supportive of humanity, which, as the image of God, is meant for a higher kind of participation than both of these things. But then there is also the implication here that humanity, by virtue of being potentially the most receptive to the divine light, is also profoundly responsible for anything that is below it in the hierarchy. Again, as Dennis says, the goal of a hierarchy is to enable beings to be as like as possible to God and to be at one with him. A hierarchy has God as the leader of all understanding and action. Human beings are set up to be the prime mediators between God and creation, as I've said elsewhere. We are set up to be between angels and animals, between heaven and earth. I want to just point out how very different this is from the power or dominance idea that so many automatically attribute to the notion of hierarchy. In Dennis's view, as I read him at least, hierarchy is not just about a particular arrangement, but is also about the companionship of beings, a shared companionship with the transcendent divinity. In other words, it is about unity, about connection, about taking all the fragments, the dissimilar things, to use Dennis's language, and noticing that they have an underlying unity, which is God. It is inevitable that we adopt a particular hierarchy of ideas or understandings, and of course, this means that there is the potential for us to do this in a way that sets up a false division between things. But there is also the potential for us to do this in another way, a better way that seeks the unity of all things. 
we can still take this further. Whatever understanding you may come to that fragments reality is not really understanding at all. Because it clings to dissimilarity, that is to difference rather than to unity, it is misunderstanding. Let's take a concrete example of this. If a scientist comes along and argues that human beings are merely animals, that we are no different from, say, rats and shrews and camels and dogs, then it becomes quite easy to argue that we can treat human beings as animals. We can, for instance, put them down when they suffer or decide in a fairly haphazard manner who gets to live or die on the basis of our flattened out ideological commitments. To misunderstand the hierarchy is to end up dishing out life and death as if it is ours to give and take. Ironically, when we set the world up without hierarchy, we are likely to create even more false hierarchies, false universals, than if we have a good sense of the created order. All ideological systems set up hierarchies according to difference and dissimilarity, which means that they employ universals against unity. I'm going to just name one example of this, and I could, I suppose, name many, but Marx's split between the proletariat and the bourgeois is a classic example of a false difference that sets up a, a new dominance hierarchy. I know this is potentially contentious. I guess everything these days is potentially contentious. So I will explain a little bit more about this in a moment. But I do want to say again, whatever understanding you may come to that fragments reality is not really understanding at all. Because it clings to dissimilarity, to difference rather than to unity, it is misunderstanding. I'm not saying that if you are in conflict with someone else around your interpretation of something that you or the other person is necessarily wrong or that both of you are necessarily wrong. After all, it is possible to be on the side of the unity of all things and to be in conflict with a view of things that fosters disunity. What is at issue here is not that there is disagreement, but whether the disagreement is in service of a larger wholeness or against it. Along these lines, there is something else worth mentioning. To a great extent, because we dwell in the world of difference, and especially in a world obsessed with difference, because the world itself is comprised of dissimilarities, it is fairly inevitable that we will find ourselves caught up in differences. Nevertheless, the aim is still to return to the origin, to come back to that which unifies all things. This becomes a very useful discernment tool. When you are caught up in the frenzy of dissimilarity, pitting your one-sided argument against the one-sided argument of someone else, it becomes helpful to simply assume something must be missing. You and or the other person are missing something. And then you can ask, what might that be? Usually, the thing that is missing is the sense articulated by Dennis that the goal of a hierarchy is to enable beings to be as like as possible to God and to be at one with him. But how does this work? Well, again, it helps to contrast this with any dissimilarity-obsessed dominance hierarchy. In a dominance hierarchy, things are bounded, individual, distinct things quite apart from their interdependence and relationality. But in the kind of hierarchy that Dennis is talking about, everything works together. It's meant to work together. Think of, say, the simple act of going to a doctor when you are sick. Now, 
The dominance hierarchy obsessed individual who is diagnosed with say a case of bronchitis might immediately recoil at the fact that the doctor is prescribing antibiotics to deal with said bronchitis. In a way, how dare the doctor impose such a diagnosis and such a prescription? For the dominance hierarchy obsessed individual, the doctor who knows more about what specific symptoms mean and how pharmacology works is a, an indication, a sign or a symbol of a superiority complex of some kind. The doctor is hierarchically above the poor victimized patient and therefore already abusing his or her power. Or worse, the doctor is merely a servant being paid for a service and should therefore only offer his or her patient the diagnosis that he or she would approve of. And I know this is a completely ridiculous scenario, but it is not nearly as far-fetched as we may like it to be. Some so-called anti-vaxxers argue against vaccinating their children on the basis of reading the entire field of modern medicine through the lens of a dominance hierarchy. And while certainly there may be dominance hierarchies at play, in fact there are likely to be such hierarchies we are dealing after all with fallible human beings no matter what we're dealing with, it is a mistake to think that the only kind of hierarchy possible is a dominance hierarchy. But of course, no sane human being responds to doctors in this way. Yes, there is something of a client-service-provider relationship here, but there is also a relationship between expertise and ignorance, with the doctor being the expert and the patient being, well, in this case, ignorant. And the doctor is not merely the expert, but is someone who, we hope, is submissive to the wisdom of experience and study and the various checks and balances that inform how decisions are made in medical practice. The doctor is an expert because he or she is part of a much wider hierarchy. And there is of course hierarchy in the field too. Yes, of course, sometimes this goes wrong and I can see that my example has limits, but I mention this to make a very simple point. The hierarchy is precisely why you, as both client and patient, stand a chance of actually getting better, of being raised up in your capacities of living towards wholeness, which is the point of being cured. The relationality is what counts, not just the simplistic one-way street implied by the idea of a dominance hierarchy. Keep in mind, of course, that doctors are meant to be experts in medicine, but are on the whole, in my experience, not the best suited to arguing matters of great ethical importance. To assume expertise in one field does not imply that the person must necessarily have expertise in another. I am, for example, fairly well versed in philosophy and theology, and I have the title doctor in front of my name, but you most definitely do not want me to treat the illness you have, because... In terms of my knowledge of modern medicine, I am a veritable ignoramus. I can debate ethics with you, but not which treatment is best for you if you have bronchitis. But back to Dennis. Dennis's idea of hierarchy, which is the one I'm sticking to, implies not just arrangement and relationality and responsibility, but also, as I've also hinted, dynamism. And I think it's a good idea to say more about this. As intimated already, as an educator, it is part of my job to be an expert in a rather large number of things. My knowledge in specific areas of interest, of course, must be superior to that of my students. That is, if I am to do them any good. 
And while there are certainly cases to be found in which experts have exploited their competence in specific areas of interest to set up and create a dominance hierarchy, this is by no means inevitable. To do so is, in fact, as Dennis would suggest, unnatural since it goes against God's desire for creation to be arranged to maximize goodness. In terms of the work that I do at the university, I am, for my students, both master and servant. I am there to be sufficiently competent in order to better serve those that I teach. And there is the dynamic at play which allows me to also learn from those that I teach. The same sort of logic applies here on this podcast, and I certainly hope it pays off for all of you who listen. Which is to say that hierarchies are, at the most fundamental level, good, even though people will find ways to corrupt what is inherently good. But now, what has this got to do with the life of understanding and, of course, transitions of faith? There are two things I just want to highlight. First off, a reminder of our inworldedness. Meaning is gathered and gained within the domain of reworlding, which involves the interplay of worlding and deworlding, as I've already said. And within this domain, which is the matrix of meaning, there will always be hierarchies. There will always be things higher up on the ladder of meaning and things lower down. It matters very much then which things happen to be higher up and lower down on the ladder of meaning. Are the things near the top of the ladder aiming towards unity and harmony or not? Are the things lower down aiming towards unity and harmony or not? I would suggest that you do not think of hierarchies in terms of categories like race, gender or class because these are false hierarchies and people on both the left and the right of the political spectrum would do very well to figure out in which way such things function as false hierarchies because they say nothing about our capacity for relating to God which is the whole point of even having a hierarchy. I know of course there are complications here and complication means that presumption becomes a very dangerous thing on all fronts. In every world of meaning, without exception, hierarchies determine specific plausibility structures. Every world of meaning, in other words, offers us a particular frame according to which we make meaning. Think of very ordinary circumstances if you want to get a feel for this. Imagine acting in a job interview in the way that you would act in a nightclub or behaving in a public space in exactly the same way that you would behave in your own home. Each mini-world offers you a good sense of how to interpret that world and act in that world. But what has started happening, especially in more recent years, is that hierarchies are getting flattened and expectations are therefore changing. Plausibility structures are in a state of immense turbulence at the moment, mostly because the worlds, plural, we are in are constantly changing. Which brings me to the second thing I want to highlight Given that the worlds we are in are more complex than ever before, we are more than likely going to be swayed towards different ways of understanding the world. Remember, the worlds we live in are also the worlds we look from. If you think, for instance, of the plausibility structure of a fairly conservative church environment versus, say, the more flexible but still hierarchical plausibility structure of a fairly progressive work environment, which includes immense diversity in terms of people and beliefs, you are very likely going to need to modify your understanding and faith to be able to cope with this other world that you are in. 
Maybe you were taught a specific mode of evangelizing or convinced at church that salvation itself is a highly exclusive matter. But now you happen to be working, say, in an environment with people who clearly do not buy into that kind of thinking. Or more than that, will probably never buy it. And moreover, that these are the people you are closest to and spend the most time with. What is probably going to happen although again, this is not inevitable, is that you will have to change your beliefs in order to accommodate this brave new world of interpretive plurality. I'm not here judging whether this is the right thing to do or not. I'm talking about a general framework and the specifics of any given situation are definitely going to need to come into play. Still, what I am saying is this. Different places have different hierarchies and To not be in a state of war against every part of life may require us to develop a kind of interpretive flexibility. And yet, even in this interpretive flexibility, to lose a sense of how hierarchy is meant to foster connection to the transcendent good, and of course to the distribution of divine light to beings and things lower down on the hierarchy, is a deep tragedy. We get to be flexible, but it is insane to be rigid about being flexible, to cling to the idea that we cannot judge or make decisions out of a mere fear of giving into a dominance hierarchy. The fact is, to fear dominance hierarchies in any absolute sense will always ultimately reproduce a dominance hierarchy, albeit in a slightly different way. I'm sure I hardly have to supply you with examples of this in the contemporary world, but I will name one. The current ideological trend towards creating scapegoats in the name of supporting the victim. This merely replicates victimization in the name of the victim and in all practical and reasonable senses this is merely the imitation of a dominance hierarchy in the name of dispelling a dominance hierarchy. It is also, I might add, nothing but a Christian heresy of the worst kind. In the name of compassion, empathy is weaponized. In the end, It does not foster unity with the divine, but severs all connection with divinity because it fosters disconnection with the created order. What is ultimately to be distributed, as Dennis argues in his writings, is God's nature, which is love. So this is a vitally important issue raised or at least implied by Dennis. It is a question Which hierarchies can be conformed to that allow the greatest flourishing and connection with the divine? Different worlds of meaning are not primarily about merely conforming, but are there to raise the question, is there a better way to live? How can we be more receptive to that which is ultimate? And how can we then generously live in response to the ultimate?